Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. We've begun our season of Advent, that season of longing. And this weekend, we're looking at the God that is with us in long suffering and how we find ultimate hope in stories like Tony and Glories that they shared with us in every single story that's represented here in this room. And for those joining us online, where suffering that is part of your life is not short. It's long suffering. It's those days that you're wanting the sun to rise again over that suffering, that, that pain, that difficulty, and nothing seems to be breaking through in the way that you planned. It's when you're dealt that hand, and it's that plan B scenario that you didn't map out for your life, but here you are, and the suffering is long. We want to press into that this morning through the scriptures, but before I do, would you just pause and pray with me? Father, this day we are grateful that you have called us together for that which is most important, which is to fix our eyes on you and be reminded about the truth of who you are and who we are in the midst of suffering. And so God, I pray that you would grant us your grace and peace even in these next few moments that we would hear the whisper of your spirit and be transformed more to the likeness of Jesus right in the middle of our suffering. For you are the God that is with us and we trust in you. Amen. You know, there's nothing more inevitable in all of life than suffering. And I don't think there's any book in the Bible and maybe no work in all of world literature that faces the issue of suffering with more realism, integrity, and wisdom than a book in the Bible called the book of Job. Now, you didn't come to church on Sunday for Advent thinking you were going to hear a message from Job. That's exactly what we're doing. And so to set up this story, you need to know that Job is a devout believer in God. He was a God-fearing man, it would say in the scriptures, that he lived his life in orientation toward God and his ways. That Job was a pillar of his community, and suddenly, without warning or explanation, everything is taken away from him. His wealth, his health, his family, and he is plunged into darkness. That's the story of Job. Where I want to talk from today is right in the middle part of the book of Job. And these are long speeches by Job. Job is pouring out his heart. He's wondering about his circumstances and true to form, true to reality. Most of the time, if you were to read Job, you just get these massive expressions of confusion and anger. But there are two places in the book of Job, and this is one of them, where Job's wrestling and his questioning, and Job wrestles through to a couple of high points of remarkable faith and insight. You see, the book of Job is set like a play in which there's two stages. There's an upper stage. It's the stage of God and the divine counsel. It's where the unseen world is, is existing. And then on the lower stage is, the, is our world, the world of the physical, of matter and of material. And this way of Job, the story of Job, is the interaction, the interplay between that upper stage and the lower stage. And it's almost set like a court proceeding, a lot of the book. Because Job wants a chance after all of this stuff has happened to him and he believes that something has happened in the invisible realm to cause all this stuff against him. And he wants a chance to defend his case against God. He wants to stand before the judge in his presence and in front of all of his accusers. But for Job, the doors of heaven's court are closed to him. They seem shut to him. And so he mostly debates with a group of friends 
who came to him in his suffering, and they started out really, really well. These friends come around Job, and they just sit with him in silence for seven days. And I'm like, that's good friendship. But then one of them, the silence gets a little awkward after seven full days of sitting with him. And they're like, hey, Job, allow us to give you the reasons for all your suffering. And by the way, it's you. You've done this to yourself. And so he's debating with his friends. And he tries to quiet his companions. And he simply cries out to God. And so much of Job is Job turning his anguish into a prayer. And the scripture we're about to read is one of Job's prayers. And in this one, we see Job is really identifying kind of three anchor points for his faith. It's where he's finding ultimate hope. A number of years ago, my son James and I, we used to watch a show on TV about uh, survival in the north and in remote places. And one of the guys we used to follow was an ice climber. And he used to climb these frozen waterfalls. Doesn't that sound fun? And he would kind of climb up a little bit and then he'd put an anchor in the ice and climb a little further. I remember just thinking about it this week. On one of the episodes, he slipped and fell and the anchor point caught him. And afterwards, they're interviewing him and they're like, we can see now why you have the anchor points in the ice. And his response was, yeah, those anchor points are really important because even when you fall, you never fall the full way. Something catches you. Something holds you. I was thinking, that's what Job has. In his despair and in his falling into darkness, he has found these kind of anchor points for his life in which he's finding ultimate hope in the midst of long suffering. And throughout scripture, we're told followers of Jesus, like we have these anchor points we're going to talk about to hang on to, to find ultimate hope and to rest in in the midst of long suffering. Three sources of strength that we have to face the suffering. And these anchor points we're going to talk about today are presence, meaning, and resurrection. That's what we find in the story of Job. And it's these three anchors of hope that Job brings out in this prayer of anguish to God. I'm going to read for us Job 13, 20 to 24, then part of uh, chapter 14. I'm going to read this text for us. This is Job's prayer. And then dive into those texts together where we together today can find anchor points of hope in the midst of our long suffering. This is what the scripture says. Only grant me these two things, God, and then I will not hide from you. Withdraw your hand from me and stop frightening me with your terrors. There's a whole theology and cosmology going on in Job's life here. Then summon me and I will answer or let me speak and you reply to me. How many wrongs and sins have I committed? Show me my offense and my sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? At least there is hope for a tree. Pulls on this metaphor here. Says if it is cut down, it will sprout again and its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of water, it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. But a man dies and is laid low. He breathes his last and is no more. As the water of a lake dries up or a riverbed becomes parched and dry, so he lies down and does not rise. Till the heavens are no more, people will not awake or be roused from their sleep. If only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger is past. If only you would set me a time and then remember me. If someone dies, will they live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. You will call and I will answer you. You will long for the creature your hands have made. Surely then you will count my steps, but not keep track of my sin. My offenses will be sealed up in a bag and you will cover over all of my sin. The first thing that Job clings to in this descent into darkness and despair through his long suffering 
as he starts to cling to presence. Right here in the very beginning, Job is praying. He says, grant me these two things, God. Here's what I really want. When you look a little more carefully, it's really just one thing. In verse 20, he says, I don't want to hide from you. And then in verse 24, he says, I don't want you to hide from me. I don't want us to be apart, God. So what is it that he wants? Notice he says, summon me. He says to God, the judge, summon me. Again, it's a legal term. To summon means to be called in or brought into the presence of someone. And that's what Job wants. Could you open the door of heaven that seems closed to me so that we can have a discussion? He says, don't hide your face from me. Job is saying, I want your companionship. I want your presence. He says, God, maybe I've sinned against you. Maybe there's been something that's come between us. God, if that's the case, I just want to be rid of it. I want it dealt with. I can't have you as my enemy. I feel like you're my enemy, God. I feel like you're against me for some reason. And I need to know that you're not my enemy. I want to know you're with me. And realizing, Job says that, God, what I really want is I just need, I need your presence again. You know, this prayer is so fascinating to me because earlier on, if you were to read in the first part of Job, we, we see Job asking for an explanation for all the horrible things that have happened to him. He wants answers. Why is this happening to me? Give me some reasons. And now notice he's beyond asking for an explanation, isn't he? He's not asking so much for answers, but for the assurance of God's presence. He says, I don't really know all the answers. I probably never will know the answers, but if I know you're with me, walking me through it, I can survive. I don't need all the answers. I don't even need the explanations anymore. As long as I know that you are with me and you're for me, I can get through. You know, this this week praying about this text again for you and for me, and just brought back to numbers of times in my life of kind of longer seasons of suffering. And one that always comes back to mind for me is as a family, the kind of the loss of a dream when we had to leave uh, position overseas and there was health issues with some, some of our kids. And there was this whole kind of devastating season of seven, eight months, which doesn't seem long to some of you, but for us right in the middle of it, that seven, eight, nine months, uh, it just seemed like the sun would never rise. And I remember in moments begging God for answers for the health of the, for some of the kids, for a future vocationally, for the death of a dream and demanding answers. God, why did this happen? I need to know why. But you know, it was interesting, a little bit, a little like Job, there came a point in my life when I began to ask, so what if there was a clear, concise answer given? Would it actually make me feel any better? Would it actually change the circumstance? And maybe to some degree in helping rationalize things, but Definitely not enough to satisfy the true longing of my heart and soul. So in my own way, I think I began to say, as I reflect on it now, okay, God, how about this? Instead of answers, how about you? God, I want more of you. And I want to seek a revelation from you. And what if at the end of it all, in your story and in my story, it's his presence, not answers, that are actually at the core of our longings? What if it's him we need more of? And so this is what Job starts to pray into. He says, you know what? I realize I don't need the answers. If I had the answers, it wouldn't change my situation. I probably wouldn't like the answer anyway. He prays, God, I need strength. I need power. I need to know you love me. I need to know you're not my enemy. I need to know you're for me and walking me through it. If I have that, then I can really handle pretty much anything else. You don't have to tell me anything else, he says. 
And I just see this. Job is now foreshadowing the life and ministry of Jesus. We see the gospel in the book of Job. See, in response to suffering, God did not give us an essay. God didn't give us a TED talk with a list of answers and great conclusions about it all. God gave him himself. God and Jesus Christ came down and he entered into the world of suffering. That's what we're focusing on this month. Jesus has been lonely. Jesus has been betrayed. Jesus knows what it's like to be tortured. He's been a victim of political injustice and discrimination. He has been killed. In other words, God didn't stand over suffering and give us an explanation. He entered into our pain and chose to be the presence that walks us through it. So we say, but he still hasn't given us the reason for all this. No, but here's the important thing. We may not know definitively what the reason for our suffering is, but you can know what the reason for your suffering isn't. It's not that he doesn't care, and it's not that he doesn't love you. And that's that first anchor point, the assured presence of God in the person of Jesus through his spirit. That what we're celebrating this month in the coming of Jesus, what we're celebrating in Advent is the longing of the human heart for presence and Jesus saying definitively, I am here and I am with you. Our first anchor point is presence. Here's the second anchor point, and it's the word meaning. Well, what's that about? Well, this next section, Job starts off with this word picture. It's an image. Job uses this metaphor negatively, and he's feeling pretty hopeless. He starts off by saying, he's looking around, maybe. He looks around, he says, well, there's hope for a tree. At least there's hope for a tree. If it's cut down, it sprouts again, its new shoots will not fail. And what he's talking about here is a really important concept throughout the Bible, and that is that suffering is often compared to the act of pruning, like pruning a tree or a plant. And one of the truths about life is that vitality and strength and depth require pruning. They actually require a wounding or a stress. If you take a fruit tree or a vine and you simply just let it go, it never actually bears much fruit. And what you have to do, and some of you have either done this, your green thumbs, and you know about all this and the seasons in which you do it, or you've seen others do it, and it's kind of scary to onlookers when someone gets out the hatchets and starts going away at a tree and they're pruning this thing down to almost nothing. But in certain seasons, this idea of pruning is that you kind of have to cut off all its beauty, all of its leaves, all of its flowers, everything, and it looks like it's been utterly destroyed. But really, it's only been pruned. And it's only if it's cut does it become thicker, stronger, literally stronger, bearing more fruit and fuller and more and more and more beautiful. Now, the Bible says over and over again that in the same way, suffering produces glory. It says it again all through the scriptures. Just as a tree that's cut actually grows back and even is better than it was before, the promise in the scriptures is that suffering is producing glory. You know what the word glory means? We sing it a lot. We say it in prayer. We, one of those church words we throw around. But you know what glory means? Glory means literally the weight of something, the weightiness, the beauty, the lastingness, the essence of something. We're told everywhere in the Bible that glory and suffering go together. Reading 1 Peter 4, if you suffer, you're blessed for the spirit of Christ's glory rests on you. Romans 8, our present sufferings are not worthy to even be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians 4, though outwardly we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Well, what's that about? 
the scriptures are telling us that there is meaning in your trials and pain, even if there isn't answers. It's not just worthless pain. It's not void of value. Your suffering and what you're enduring these days, both here in the room and those online, your suffering is not meaningless. I mean, this is the power of God at work to redeem even the things that we think are irredeemable. Now, folks, please hear me, friends, honestly. I know in a gathering like this, there are realities of suffering for me just to say bluntly, hey, it's all for your good, is like the worst thing I could say. And I'm not really saying that. It's not my intention. Can you just hear my heart on this? When we sit in the midst of incredibly horrible, painful experience, there is hardly any way to believe that any way of redemption is possible. Have you been there? Right. Like there's no way through. You know, if it was up to us, would choose for that bad thing not to happen and skip whatever character development it's bringing about in my life. I've had times in my life, you know, I hear people talk about suffering. They're like, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I'm like, I would totally trade it. I would trade the suffering. I would not go through it. And yet, with further reflection, there's a character that's being developed. And it's at this point where we're ready to kind of give it all up and say there's no hope of redemption. It's at that point we find the gentle, loving invitation of Jesus calling us to consider a reality that is bigger than our experience alone. To take hold of the hope that there is more going on than we can see and that somehow God is going to prove himself faithful and good and loving toward you. And friends, I get it. Some of us are not there. And this sounds completely ridiculous to some of you. You're not ready to say that God is good. You're not ready to say that God can redeem what God can redeem what you've been through with. And I say you are actually in the right place today. And we're willing to walk into those thoughts and feelings with you as a church. We're not going to run from the hard conversations and the hard questions and the hard prayers. We want to be a church that is rooted in authenticity and in a genuine way of life that doesn't just say, oh, optimism, it'll just get better someday. We're not about optimism that's relying on a set of circumstances to change. We are a people of hope that's relying on the object of our faith to be faithful. And so we're willing to walk with you. So don't give up. In prayer times, which we invite every weekend, opportunity for prayer. Take the opportunity to prayer. Meet with some of us. Bring your objections, your fears, your anger, your disillusionment. And we as a church will embrace you with grace and truth because we've all been there. Some of us are there right now. And we'll do it together. And together, maybe we can discover a God who is powerful to redeem and who can actually create beauty out of ashes. That way, when suffering comes into your life, you know one of the things God is doing is he's making you real. He's taking you deeper. He's making you someone who's going to be there no matter what. Someone with roots, with integrity, with depth, with character. We have an anchor point called meaning that assures us that God is faithful, faithful to redeem even the most painful parts of our stories. But that's not all. And it's obviously not Job's main point. The third anchor point of ultimate hope in the midst of long suffering is resurrection. And you may be thinking, dude, where are you going with this? But it's here. You know, even though Job uses the pruning illustration that's used elsewhere in the Bible as applied to human beings, Job runs into a problem in his own prayer. The own logic of his prayer starts to fall apart. He says, no, wait a minute. Well, at least there's, for a tree, there's hope. 
Like if it gets cut down, it'll sprout again and its new shoots will not fail. I get it. I get the I get the pruning thing. It its roots grow old in the ground and it will spring back. But when a person dies, guess what? We don't have roots. We don't sprout things. I mean, we're just gone. And so Job's here struggling now with his own metaphor. And see, he's despairing. He's saying, This isn't just a little bit of suffering, God. Don't you understand? I'm being decimated here. My health is gone. I'm being wiped out and I am seeing no hope. And then all of a sudden, honestly, friends, one of the most poignant places in all of Scripture for me personally is in verse 13. Because this wild longing comes up in his heart. One of the most striking places in the Scriptures. After having just said, there's no hope for me. There's no hope for human beings. When we're laid in the ground, we don't have little roots. We just go into the ground and we stay there. The tree, the tree has roots, but not us. There's no hope. And then suddenly, verse 13. If only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger is past. Job's still thinking God's inflicting this stuff on him. If you read to the end of Job, it's a whole different story. But this is his perspective. If only you would set me a time and then remember me. If someone dies, will they live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. You will call and I will answer you. Now, this is astounding and doesn't make any sense at all. Why would Job all of a sudden say, wait a minute, okay, so maybe death does win here, and I end up in the grave. Death takes me and puts me in the ground, put me in the grave, but when my time of hard service, he's thinking as the afterlife, as this place of prison labor, where he pays off the debts that he's incurred in life, and he says, when I've paid my debt, when I've gone into the ground, remember me. You know what that means? To remember someone, it means to put them back together. Job's saying, like, put me back together in all the ways that I'm fragmented. Put me back together. Restore me. Call me. Dead people don't get up. But you call me, God, and I will. After I've done my hard service, call me and I'll get up. I'll come to you. I know I can. Now, where in the world did Job get this idea that this was possible? Not only in his time was there nobody else talking about, like, a resurrection idea, but his own logic says it can't actually happen. He says it in verse 7. He says, I know this is impossible. I'm going to throw it out there. Because maybe, just maybe. But there must have been some reason that he even has this hope. And there is. There is something here. You know what it is? It's this incredibly moving verse I've been thinking about all week. He says, you will call and I will answer. Do you know why? Because God, you will long for the creature your hands have made. God longs for you. And this word for longing, which we're going to be in all month, means an intense desire, a yearning that is rooted in indescribable, unconditional love. Here's what he's saying. God, despite what I'm facing, I actually know you love me. I believe your love is so intense that you wouldn't even let me stay dead. And I know it doesn't make any sense. Resurrection, I get it. No one's told me anything about a resurrection at all, but what I know about you, I think I've worked this out, Job says. Your love, God, I think, I think means someday, someday you could call me, even though the suffering got bad enough to put me in the grave, that your call, your word, your invitation would be powerful enough to resurrect me from death. And so he says, that's my hope. Where is he getting an idea like this? I'll tell you, them, it's an amazing statement. It's a daring statement. I know, God, that you long for me. 
could he say that? Well, he knows that God is a God of infinite, unfailing, eternal love. And he's having this moment in which he realizes that. And he says, if God is as great as I know he is, and therefore his love is as great as I know it has to be, someday he will call me and I will be restored. I mean, if this is true, this is the best of the three, right? Like the three things. I mean, it's one thing to know God is with me. It's one thing to say God is strengthening me. He's making me last and building me strong through suffering. It's another thing to say he's making it all new. Now that's different. You see, friends, the Bible doesn't promise consolation for all you've experienced. It promises restoration of all that was to be. Resurrection means all the suffering and pain that has ever happened to you is going to come untrue when you see Jesus face to face. And at the moment of resurrection, when the life that you have always wanted is finally yours and it is at hand, the real life, all the evil, all the suffering, all the difficulty will become like a fleeting dream. That means this won't just be an ignoring of pain or a consolation for suffering but resurrection is the actual defeat of death as the enemy of your soul. What Job was hoping to be true someday when he throws out there on a whim, kind of hoping into God's love that even the grave doesn't get the last say. He throws it out there. And what was just his fleeting hope, that kind of ambiguous, can't really put his hands around it kind of thing, has become our reality today in Jesus Christ, hasn't it? I mean, in Job's suffering, what he thought to be impossible but prayed for anyway has become for us, us the gift of God in Jesus Christ. you believe that? You see, Jesus was abandoned. Jesus went to a cross. He put himself into the grave and took what was seeking to destroy you so that someday he will call to you. He is calling to you. And if you choose to follow him, he will call to you and you will answer because God is longing for you. You know, in the season of Advent, we talk about our longing, which is absolutely true. We're longing for more of God. We're longing for more of his presence. We're longing for the full revelation of God to be revealed. But you ever thought that God is longing for you? That the reason that God himself put on flesh and stepped into human history to endure all the kinds of suffering that you and I can endure was because he longs for you. He wants you and he loves you and he will not stop pursuing you with his love if he will pursue us beyond the grave and into death to even resurrect us from that place, he will not leave or abandon you now. And that's the hope to which we cling. Advent isn't just our longing, it's God's longing too. And we join him in the longing for more. In resurrection, it all comes back together. What was fragmented becomes integrated in the person of Jesus Christ. And the truth is this, there is no suffering, there is no pain that can ever triumph over God's love for you in Jesus Christ. I was, I said that one time and there's people that actually said amen to that kind of phrase before. There is no suffering, there is no pain that can ever triumph over God's love for you in Christ Jesus. There we go, that's better. Even death itself, even death itself can't hold us down because it couldn't hold him down. And he rose from the dead as a testimony to you and I that he is Lord and that death and hardship and misery and suffering do not get the final word in our lives. Over the past couple of weeks, um, 
been walking with just, yeah, a number of folks in our community that have been just feeling overwhelmed by darkness. They've been feeling actually overwhelmed even by like a spirit of death in our community. And sometimes we as the church, we talked about it as a team this week. It's kind of where this sermon came from since our conversation on Tuesday as a team. You know, sometimes we as the church, we just need to kind of set the record straight and declare truth to the seen and the unseen world about how it really is. And so to do that, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54 and 55 says this. In this part of scripture in 1 Corinthians, Paul is pulling on the hope in, in resurrection that even if we fall asleep in this life, we're immediately raised to new life in the next one, the fullness of life that God has for us. And he says this, and this is our declaration, friends. This is ultimate hope in the midst of suffering. It says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, that's when the temporary is clothed with the eternal, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? When you choose to follow Jesus and put your life in his hands and be filled with the Holy Spirit, even if on this side of eternity you fall asleep, maybe it's disease, maybe it's accidents, maybe it's something, do you know that that's not the final word? That you're simply crossing a threshold into the fullness of life that God has prepared for you, for Jesus has defeated death. And you get to live or live. You get to be healed or be healed. Those are your options as the follower of Jesus. And that is fantastic, wonderful good news. Hey, you're getting it. We're getting there. A year and a half in, we're starting to turn it up a little bit. This is good. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. We can endure in the place of suffering because presence and meaning and resurrection is real. It's what we see in the Advent story of the longing for Jesus. And so we do. We long for him. He longs for us. Let's meet him. Respond to his invitations and lean into hope together. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.